5: This podcast is supported in part by the Bertha Foundation.
6: G'day, Dan Illich here, the host of Irrational Fear, the podcast you're listening to right now. This is just to let you know that you're about to hear a mishmash of two of the best live shows we've done this month. We went to Newcastle and we went to Bega to do shows roughly about climate change in very climate-vulnerable areas. And uh, the first show you're going to hear is our Newcastle show, and let's face it, when you're doing a show about climate change in coal country... The audience may require some warming up. Eh, You decide.
3: A rational fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, Fair D, and Section 40. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences.
6: Tonight, hitting $1.1 million, the average price of a Newcastle home has hit parity with the average cocaine habit of a Newcastle night. Morrison has gotten in trouble for saying our vaccine rollout isn't a race, of course the leader of a country that's coming 105th in the world would say that. Yeah! And Newcastle is the seventh biggest city in Australia, and just like Canberra, you have tram now! Yeah! It's, the, it's June 5th, World Environment Day, and live from Newcastle, between Nobby's Head and the side of the old penis tower, it's a rational fear. Fear! You're absolutely right, Lewis. These people have never heard our show before. It's okay. All right, welcome. This is the Rational Fear. I'm your host, former gas turbine, Danielich. And this is the podcast that kind of rips into the news and drills down on climate change. It's a bit like Q&A but people are actually watching, uh, which is (laughs) great. And tonight we're in Newcastle, which is terrific. On tonight's show, uh, we'll look at lessons learned from the Upper Hunter by-election. We'll learn how we can carbon offset our partners that work in mining. uh, And we'll ask, just how many drinks do you need to have to pash a bulk up? (laughs) Let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. He's the number one comedy video editor, as in he's the first and the oldest comedy video editor in Australia, from The Chaser, Tonightly and the Newsfighters podcast. It's Dylan Bain. Woo! And he's a part-time human rights lawyer and full-time clown. He's one of the writers and performers of Sammy J's Playground Politics. It's James Fender. And she's recently was the star and executive producer of her own TV show and gave birth halfway through production. She's doing it all for the ratings. It's Reputation Rehab's Kirsten Drysdale. That wasn't all true, but I'll take it. And she's a self-described hypocrite who is on the front lines of climate action. Unlock the gate, but lock it back up again real quick because it's Lock the Gate's Georgina Woods. <laughs> And as soon as he started surfing this year, our final guest became the number one radio DJ in Newcastle. <laughs> it's Lewis Hummer. I assume you're from Nova Castorin FM. That's FM. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, thank you.
2: I'm thrilled to be here in New This is great. Yeah, we found out that the other uh, bit of microphone talking I do, the radio show, is now the number one drive show in Newcastle. And it was a huge surprise to me uh, because I have very soft hands and I just didn't expect to... Um, be taken into by uh, by the Cashmans, but I'm fucking thrilled to be here. So yeah! <laughs> All right, but first,
6: a word from our sponsor.
7: We understand there's been some confusion about who is eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine and who votes Labor.
3: That's why the federal government is clearing up the confusion with Jab Seeker.
7: Jab Seeker tells you when the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine will be made available to groups most in need of protection first. And Liberal Party donors...
3: These vulnerable communities have been identified by medical experts and focus groups. Group
7: 1 includes people who are at increased risk of being silenced by cancel
3: culture, like journalists who haven't asked any questions, cab drivers and divorced dads with an axe to grind on Facebook.
7: Group 2 priority access will also be given to people working in critical services such as
3: residents of marginal
7: electorates, Sharky's fans,
3: coal industry professionals,
7: and men with law degrees who
3: went to university with current or former Liberal Party Cabinet members. If you're not listed in Groups 1 or 2, Keep checking Jab Seeker to see when other groups of people will be eligible for the AstraZeneca vaccine,
7: like women, scientists, union members, and Tom Ballard, who will definitely be last on
3: the list. Jab Seeker, helping those who are more on Team Australia than others get a COVID-19 vaccine first.
7: Whenever they fucking arrive.
3: Authorised by someone anonymously to give us plausible deniability should it all go to hell, Canberra.
6: All right. Thank you. You know, uh, sometimes I like to think we're winning the hearts and minds for climate justice in this country. Uh, Then I realise, oh, no, no, that's not that feeling. That's not the feeling of hope. That's Valium. Um, And the reason why we're here in this room in Newcastle is because it's important, because ironically, when it comes to climate justice in Newcastle, uh, you're at the coalface. Yep. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I was waiting for that one. Yep. Now, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the upper Hunter election, uh, by-election a little later on. Now, the media was saying how Labor was distraught to lose the upper Hunter seat, a seat they haven't held in about 100 years. That's like saying, I'm distraught, I'm not an NBA player who can fly. Uh, LAUGHTER Labor, we're never going to win because Labor uh, forgot to stand for something. Uh, now, the rest of the Hunter, of course, is about to be turned into a fracking mess with more pipes coming out of it than Ben Cousins. And much like, much like a Liberal Minister at a Canberra bar, the gas-led recovery is going to come upon us whether we want to or not. Uh, so, I can't... Honestly, it's, a, it, like, I mean, it's quite shocking
2: to me how few of you have heard this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really like, it's not going to get better. I I really need you to prepare yourself for an hour
6: of that. It did say say on the poster an hour of jokes about the C word. And, uh, yeah, anyway.
0: I've got to say, when I I was coming in, a lady walked past and she, like, pushed her restaurant booking back because she said, I've just walked past the playhouse and there's a nice play on at (laughs) 7 o'clock. I think I want to go and see it. So, sorry, (laughs) lady.
6: Anyway, I think we're losing the battle when it comes to communicating about climate change and I think, we're, we, I think because we're communicating badly, we're up against the carbon lobby. When it comes to climate denialism, they have developed one of the most sophisticated weapons ever made. Boomers on Facebook that print memes and put them in local shops. Um, <laughs> now, this is the number one threat to climate change everywhere in this country. The environment doesn't stand a chance. On our side, we've had NASA, the CSIRO, David Attenborough, and Avatar. And quite frankly, we can't compete with Microsoft Word Art. Look at that. Uh, now, these photos I'm showing you are from a recent trip through country, New South Wales. Uh, for the people on the podcast, this is a Henry Lawson poem about a bushfire. And in curly Microsoft Word Art above, it says Someone
2: forgot to tell Henry Lawson in
6: 1911. It was all caused by climate change. (laughs) And you know what? They're absolutely right, because the first mention of climate change in an Australian newspaper wasn't until 1912, a whole 12 months after, in the Sydney Evening News. Now, can anyone guess the uh, number one font for climate deniers in New South Wales? Can anyone guess? Comic Sans. Comic Sans, very good. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Now, yeah. She's head of the group. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Have a look at this one here. This one is a petition to stop a solar farm. (laughs) In both red and blue text, you know, trying to get some Labor and Liberal voters, getting some bipartisanship here. (laughs) Notice no green text on this one. Uh, I thought that was good. All right, here's another one. Uh, This is from an emu farm, uh, a gift shop. It says that in 1939 there was a big bushfire that they called Black Friday, which is enough for this person to be convinced that the government was lying to us all about climate change because a bushfire happened once about 100 years ago. Now, the majority of it is in climate change, but as you can see here, they've mixed it up with some Tahoma and some for Times New Roman as well, but they have reserved some Comic Sans for some particular words including ignorant and climate cults. <laughs> Now, the author did get a bit biblical towards the end, ditching the comic sands and instead going for all caps. Um, James, as someone who's had some religion in, the, in their life, could you please read out uh, the, the all caps as, as the author intended?
4: Sure. And yet today we are being told by our leaders that this is the new normal. <laughs> oh, no, this time is different. Now we are being brainwashed into believing that the gospel
8: of the new religion is climate change! I have had the opposite experience though, Dan, of handing out flyers about climate change and saying to people, this is where the water is coming to, the water is coming, the water is coming, feeling very much as if it was... Very biblical! Oh my God! They needed
6: Moses down there to stop the water! We need to build a boat! I love this line at the bottom. It says, only this time it has a new and new and dangerous name and a global religion behind it. The altar has been built and our gullibility is about to be offered upon it. And then they've gone and undercut their entire argument by putting a Bible quote underneath, <laughs> which says, none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And I don't understand. <laughs> And finally, this is the other thing you're going to see around regional New South Wales. Here uh, is Alan Jones' articles. Um, I call them articles, but they're actually op-eds because you're not allowed to call them journalism because they don't have any facts. Um, And so, yeah, you're going to see plenty of this around regional New South Wales. Also, here's another old favourite for people who can squint. They put up Dorothy McKellar's sunburnt country as if there were, because there was a <laughs> flood or a fire at once and it was in Dorothy McKellar's poem. That's argument enough as to that climate change has always been around.
0: How come they don't do that thing we all used to do in primary school where you, like, put a tea bag over the paper and make it look brown <laughs> and hold a lighter up to the edges? And well, this one, been, this one really looks like authentic. it's been...
6: A, the irony is I think this one's been up there, like, through ten bushfires. It's, 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 it's very faded. So what do we do about it? Well, friends, I, I've got a couple of things tonight to share with you. I've rewritten Dorothy McKellar's Sunburnt Country and, I, um, and I've printed it out in Comic Sans uh, and I'm going to read it out to you now. Uh, And some of you will be able to take a copy of this home. I love a sunburnt country, not one constantly ablaze, with weather anomalies increasing, to our scientists amaze. I love a sunburnt country, oh shit, it's on fire again. We put it out last stanza, send back the water crane. I love a sunburnt country with once in 100 year floods, now occurring monthly, we're neck deep in mud. They're getting bigger and more often, these climate change events. Sky News can go fuck itself. They're larger and more frequent. Our weak, corrupt, lying, shitfuckery, country, limp leaders need to accelerate just transition rather than holding on to power to boost their superannuation. So go out and tell your friends that life as we know it is fucked. Unless we ditch our fossil fuels, this lucky country is out of luck. Thank you. So that's for you. Um, and there is one more thing I've made
2: for you, and that is, uh, this is like, um, you've moved the end of Oprah to the start.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because I'm going to get my shit out of the way. That's a, <laughs> uh, I've made a fake op-ed. Here it is. Look at this. Uh, this is a fake Alan Jones op-ed. He's basically <laughs> repenting. I'm about to do something I've only ever done once before. I'm about to admit that I'm wrong. The only other time I've done this is when I declared that chess was the best musical ever to come out of the brain of Tim Rice, and we all know that's wrong. It's Jesus Christ Superstar, incontrovertibly so. (laughs) Now, I was as wrong about chess as I am about this. Here we go. For a very long time, I used to think that climate change wasn't real. I used to think that like an Anthony Collier 2021 Christmas album, it just wasn't happening. (laughs) I used to think that the fossil fuel companies that funded my show were on Struggle Street and doing it tough, and those on the land were begging for handouts and so-called compensation because their farm is now an open pit mine, were a bunch of whingers who took to sucking off the teat of the working man, if I can use that expression. (laughs) But much like the 2001 Wallabies back end, I've evolved. And I know this is not to be true, It's wrong. If I could put all of my previous climate change denialism in a chaff bag and throw out to sea, I would. But that's wrong too. It would get stuck around a dolphin's neck and they'd die. For what? Trying to unravel a bag of bad opinions that shape discourse and policy in an attire for an entire country? Ha! What a metaphor. <laughs> the revelation came to me when Ampol and Valvoline chose to go in a new direction for marketing and no longer sponsor my TV show. It was then renewable energy giant, National Solar Energy Group, stepped in with the help of their money. It became clearer than ever that humans were causing climate change. (laughs) It's clear that we need to stop all emissions immediately and electrify everything with National Solar Energy Group's renewable energy. It's clear we need to draw down emissions as fast as we can. It's also clear that this government needs to prevent me from being such a powerful position to influence policymakers in this country. Instead of paying billions for fossil fuel subsidies that are killing the planet, The Defence Department should build a time machine that will allow a cold-blooded assassin like that well-built Ben Robert Smith or Leighton Hewitt to go back in time and strangle me to death with their big, strong, athletic hands (laughs) before I endorse Tony Abbott as Prime Minister. If we can do that, then we just might save the planet. And if we can't do that, take out insurance at Allianz in order to protect your home and contest insurance. From the worst disasters that Mother Nature can throw your way. Allianz, peace of mind when Mother Nature is on a period. <laughs> Mother Nature, the only other woman worse than Julia Gillard. <laughs> I'm Alan Jones. <laughs> Thanks very much, everyone. And uh, you can take a copy of that home with you um, if there's any left outside as as you leave. Uh, But if you register on the website, you'll get a free one as well in next week's email. Uh, All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Dylan Bain. Rational Rational fear. All
9: right. G'day.
6: All right. (laughs)
9: Uh, all right, DJ Dialabolical is here with some wacky clips. Let's uh, get the show on the road. It's great to be here in Newcastle. Uh, now, I don't know if any of you heard, but there was a, there was a thing called a by-election on here recently. Has anyone, anyone heard about this thing? <laughs> any, anyone, anyone know about this? Anyone? I hope you like hearing about the by-election. Uh, but actually, I don't think it was a by-election because according to John Barilaro, it was actually a horse race.
1: But when we weren't just in the race... We've led all the way, like a good bloody racehorse. Now's not the time to change the jockey mid-race. You can't just replace the, the jockey. The horse is broken.
10: What the hell does that
9: all mean? What the hell, John Bar- Is John Barilaro just wishing he was at the racetrack instead of on the campaign trail? Or is his brain only capable of holding, like, a single metaphor and he literally compares everything to a horse race? Like, what does he do when he goes to his kids' uh, swimming carnival? Well, Billy, may the best horse win. But, Dad, I'm a, your human son. Not to me you are. Uh, yes, but if you haven't heard, Nationals candidate uh, David Lazell uh, won the... Uh, how do you say that? Lazel? Lazell. Won the Upper Hunter uh, horse race. And uh, being... The electorate, I've done my research, Uh, I read that it's the electorate with the highest proportion employed in mining in all of New South Wales, Uh, which meant that John Barilaro, uh, state nationals leader, uh, made sure to remind us during the campaign uh, just how much he and his party support coal
11: as the resource minister i've actually had more mines approved in the 2 years since taking on the on the portfolio our track record is
1: supporting coal is a berargic and Barillaro government a liberal uh, national coal coalition
3: i'll use the word coal in that
4: <laughs> what you can see behind me is a train full of
9: coal of course heading off to newcastle this train is what's powering the economy yes that is literally a gl- a grown man yelling at a coal train like he's a four-year-old toddler pretending he just saw Thomas the Tank Engine. Look, mom, t- a choo-choo! A choo- <laughs> t- <coughs> That
1: black, <coughs> black soot makes me, <laughs> makes, makes
9: me cough up snot. Uh, but yes, the Nationals love coal. This is the message they wanted us all to take away. The Nationals love coal. They love coal so much that uh, being a video editor, I put together a little montage of how much the Nationals love and support Coal and coal miners into the future. Let's, let's 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 see how much they love us. New South Wales Deputy
5: Premier John Barilaro has called for a national referendum or plebiscite on nuclear energy.
8: John Barilaro has long championed the benefits of nuclear power.
12: mining and nuclear energy is, should be part of Australia's economic future, let alone energy future.
1: The only political party to stick its head up on this issue is the National Party. National senators earlier this year. In Canberra, drafted legislation allowing the Clean Energy Finance Corporation to invest in nuclear power.
2: The man who chairs today's nuclear parliamentarian roundtable was the Nationals MP, Barnaby Joyce. If
4: you seriously want zero emissions, if that's what knocks you out, if that's what blows your hair back, well then nuclear power is where you're going to have to go.
12: We should start looking at nuclear. Do you
4: think within 20 years there'll be modular nuclear reactors in Australia?
12: I think there's a very good chance of it.
7: It is a cheap, reliable source of energy. The National yep. Party is 100% behind this, and we hope our coalition partners will follow us.
9: Yeah, that coal miners, the National Party, is 100% behind
7: nuclear.
9: <laughs> um, might be a good time to go down to the TAFE and learn how to mine uranium if you can... Find a TAFE <laughs> campus that hasn't been sold off at a loss. Um, uh, yes, that's uh, Deputy uh, Federal Nationals Leader Bridget McKenzie there at the end saying how much she loves nuclear. And one of the reasons she says she loves nuclear is it's, it's so much, so much better than all those pesky windmills. Have a look. If you put some nuclear
7: power into this mix, we'd be lo- using a tiny Absolutely. percentage of the
9: landmass that's
7: currently under wind farms, uh, and we'd be able to use that for farming and a Good whole extent. lot of other industries as
10: well.
9: You hear that the deputy leader of the rural party the Nationals I don't think she's ever seen a, uh, a sheep paddock full of wind turbines before in her entire life also Bridget I don't think you'll uh, I don't think you'll find sheep crazy as wanting to put nuclear reactors out in their back paddock or on their rooftops but hey so <laughs> there you go and also Matt Canavan, who is in that story Uh, who's in the montage before, Uh, he reckons nuclear is really safe to those uh, dangerous renewables.
12: Uh, Overall, nuclear has been an incredibly safe technology. Uh, People
6: die installing solar panels on roofs. Uh, The greatest uh, energy accidents in the world have have always involved petrochemicals, which are uh, uh, inherently uh, volatile. And we're talking about going down the hydrogen route, which is a very flammable and dangerous uh, uh, chemical.
9: Yeah, last I checked, there's no HBO miniseries about people installing solar panels on roofs. (laughs) Uh, And speaking of hydrogen, uh, uh, which uh, he mentioned there at the end, uh, hydrogen's also been in the news a lot lately. Uh, Scott Morrison has made it his new favourite technological buzzword. Uh, for when he gets cornered by the rest of the world into talking about uh, how we're going to have to get to net zeros. You know, eventually, 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 don't I? I won't, I won't say when. Uh, please please stop asking. Uh, in fact, ScoMo loves hydrogen so much, uh, he was he was name-dropping it repeatedly back in April in the days around uh, Joe Biden's uh, Virtual Climate Day Summit. Have
12: a look. Our ambition is to produce the cheapest glean hydrogen in the world. That One of the most important targets that Australia has is to be able to... Produce hydrogen at $2 a kilo. Mr President, in the United States, you have the Silicon Valley. Here in Australia, we are creating our own hydrogen valleys. And when it comes to the hydrogen valleys, we can be developing all across the country. Yes, hydrogen valley is
9: also the name of uh, the worst Taming polar album. So Scott <laughs> Morrison is having a bromance with hydrogen. Why? Well... You'll be surprised to learn that it's because uh, our government is arguing that hydrogen made using uh, coal and gas can still be called clean hydrogen, a.k.a. Mm. blue hydrogen, because, you know, we'll just use carbon capture to turn it clean, I guess. (laughs) Uh, It's totally a real thing. Carbon capture works. Uh, Let's change the subject. Uh, Speaking speaking of which, here's, uh, here's Angus Taylor on uh, uh trying to argue blue hydrogen is clean hydrogen to fran kelly on rn breakfast in april and well it sounds like he was going a bit
7: blue in the face you've announced this week 540 million dollars for new hydrogen hubs and carbon capture and storage at the hydrogen hubs a lot of people have been asking here me here on this program is it green hydrogen or hydrogen made with fossil fuels
1: it's clean hydrogen what's that, that that's that's the point it's Hydrogen. Again, so it's not made with fossil fuels? War on industries, no,
7: I'm not declaring war. I'm asking you, is it well, made with fossil well, fuels or the, it made the, with the, renewable the, energy?
1: The, the point that many make when they're asking that question is we, we can't possibly make anything from fossil fuels. Well, you know what? If it's zero emissions, it's fine. That's the point. It's got to be clean. Okay.
7: Uh, so it will be, be made with fossil fuels will, and how well, do we make it zero emissions?
1: It, it will be made with anything that allows us to reduce emissions. There's blue uh, hydrogen that can be done with zero emissions. There's green hydrogen that can be be done with zero emissions. Uh, you know, we need a lot of horses in this race. <laughs>
9: you know, the, the bloody horses again. Get some new metaphors. Oh my God. That interview was such a uh, cluster shambles that uh, Angus Taylor went on Facebook and uh, commented, bad job, Angus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, of course, uh, one of the reasons, in fact, probably the real reason that uh, Scott Morrison loves hydrogen so much is, uh, well, it can keep his uh, millionaire mining mate, magnate mates rich and we can keep digging up coal for another 50 years. But also, it can make trucks go broom.
12: I mean, hydrogen can be used to drive vehicles. I mean, up there in the Pilbara at the moment, they're putting him in the mining trucks.
9: Yeah, let's put, let's put hydrogen, flammable hydrogen... In vehicles, because it worked so well last time. Dan, play the clip of the Hindenburg. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> look, the look at humanity, all that garage. Didn't that go well? <laughs> all right, in conclusion, if you're saying, well, who cares? We're doing the best we can. We can't do any more to, to get to zero emissions and help, help stop climate change in this country. Well, let's just, let's, just, uh, let's just look over the ditch to New Zealand and see what Jacintra uh, uh, Jacinta doing. Promised at the Earth Day Summit back in April. No
7: fossil fuel subsidies part of New Zealand's four action points. One, price carbon. Two, make climate-related financial disclosures mandatory. Three, end fossil fuel subsidies. And four, finance adaptation.
9: And that's
6: how you win a bloody horse race! Yeah! A hey, hey,
1: hey, rational fear. Your fear is rational.
6: It's kind of a theme throughout Irrational Fear and The Greatest Moral Podcast of our generation where you have all this uh, technical, techno-babble and it comes down to something so simple. How good is Jacinta Arda? So mm, good. Man,
2: wild. Yeah. Um, but once um, New Zealand has all those people falling off their solar-panelled roofs, who <laughs> will be laughing then? Yeah, she'll but, be but, eating
0: her words.
6: Yeah. <laughs> now, um, George, you are our, our, our Newcastle local here, what was the most interesting thing to come out of the Upper Hunter by-election for you?
8: Well, I have a slightly different take from Dylan, I suppose, because there was a lot of, you know, a lot of headlining about coal, but in actual fact, what the National Party did during that election campaign was cancel the coal mine that was proposed and approved on the Liverpool Plains, promised there'd never be any open-cut coal mining at Dartbrook near Aberdeen. Promised to set up an expert panel that would manage the structural adjustment of the region, you know, in the event of coal's coal exports decline and invite unions and community advocates to take part in deciding how that rolls out. And they won the by-election, and then the Labor Party subsequently just tear itself completely to pieces because they didn't think that they were pro coal enough <laughs> during the election campaign.
6: Wow! Did the people of the Upper Hunter think they were voting for the Greens? What was going
8: Well, I think it's fair to say that if the Labor Party had done the series of things that the National Party did, you know, to curtail the mining industry and plan for structural adjustment, the reaction I think in the sort of tabloid press probably would have been slightly different. They they get a different sort of treatment on it.
2: So are you a member of Lock the Gate who would vote national? Is that that what I'm
8: hearing? Well, there are many people in the Lock the Gate movement who vote national, yes. In fact, I've spoken to farmers who have, you know, locked on against resource extraction projects who also hand out how to vote cards for the National Party and find it harder harder to, you know, to to change that than they do to go and, and get arrested fighting mining projects.
2: Yeah, oh, right, right. I mean, I guess based on that election, yeah, they're absolutely spot on. If they're trying to stop mining, vote national.
6: <laughs> <laughs> so, so makes, strange for me to say that. Makes complete sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, James Pender. Hello. R- 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 rational fear.
1: Damn, son, where'd you find Yes,
4: as, as Dylan just said, the Nationals <laughs> did win the upper uh, Hunter by-election. And um, as John Bailaro said, the Nationals are back, baby. Um, And he's right, I guess. But when you've been in power in the Upper Hunter for the last 90 years, it's fair to say you're not only back, you've you've never gone away, have you? (laughs) So to be clear, Labor last were in power in the Upper Hunter in 1931. Um, And in 1931, the Labor Party still referred to itself as the Communist Party. Um, (laughs) Hitler was an unknown artist from Austria. And Andrew Bolt hadn't been invented yet. So while the loss for Labor in the recent uh, by-election, as we've already said, was a bit unexpected, um, I've got some ideas to help out Labor in the Hunter. So I'm going to go through 10 things that can help Labor win uh, in the Hunter. Number one, Wear more vests. Um, Nothing says vote for me for 90 consecutive years, like a smart vest, I reckon. Um, John Barillaro knows it in that photo. So does Dave Lazell. Uh, Look at him. A vest says, I'm busy getting shit done in your electorate. Um, Whereas this uh, open neck shirt suit combo from Labor candidate Jeff Drayton says, I'm busy appearing before ICAC. Um, The electorate says no. Number two, more Johns Brothers, I reckon. (laughs) Nothing screams success like the Johns brothers. Together they oversaw the most successful era in rugby league. Andrew Johns, famous for taking so many pingers that he became a rugby league immortal. <laughs> Whilst Matthew Johns is famous for his Reg Reagan character who continually called for the game to bring back the biff. I think Labour needs to harness their talents. Imagine Joey Johns on the dingalings, handing out how to vote cards, <laughs> uh, going door to door. Imagine Reg Reagan advocating for a return to core Labour values. Uh, like Labor legend Ben Chifley in his evocatively titled stump speech, Bring Back the Chiff. (laughs) I've perhaps drawn a long bow there. But let's just say, John's brothers and Labor, ladies and gentlemen, unstoppable. Number three, branch stacking. (laughs) Labor needs to get serious about their branch stacking. They can't just keep hoping people will vote for them. They need to start breeding Labor voters. Luckily, one thing we do know is that John's fucked their way through Newcastle in the 1990s, which means there's a whole lot of Ill- illegitimate children out there. And given most of the roots probably happened post the '97 premiership, those kids are at voting age. So let's sign them up for Labor, baby. <laughs> Idea number four: build a big something. Everywhere good in Australia has a big something. What does the Hunter have other than big unemployment and a big problem with institutional child abuse? (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) If Labor are to win, they need to promise to build something big. Not that. No, not a gas-fired power station. We're in Newcastle. What about a big nuke? Just point the nuclear bomb at Canberra and make your demands. Or use it to get rid of Gosford. (laughs) Idea number five, get rid of Gosford. Let's be honest, Gosford is a shithole. I'd vote for anyone to get rid of Gosford. I don't care how. All I know is, do we really need Gosford? The Central Coast Mariners and the Blue Tongue Beer Factory are not reasons to keep a town. Idea number six, say Novocastrian more. Labor candidates need to be seen saying the word Novocastrian. I don't know how the fuck that means, Newcastle person, but it's a cool word. (laughs) Number seven, embrace the ban. On a serious note, ladies and gentlemen, Labor needs to embrace the ban on everyone's lips, okay? Okay. And, no, I don't mean the band on coal-fired power stations. I mean the band on any further albums that involve Daniel Johns and Luke Steele in their collab dreams. <laughs> dreams? More like nightmares, am I right? <laughs> I am right. Okay. Uh, idea number nine is a little bit... Uh, is, I'm running out of ideas at this point. <laughs> if uh, Should we get a minister for Simeon? If Joel Fitzgibbon's going to lead the Labor Party to a new generation of glory, well, he needs a less divisive portfolio. Make him the minister for Simeon. swap the coal for a cask of wine, then at least the inner-city sa- Chardonnay drinkers might actually listen to what he has to say. <laughs> idea number 10, ladies and gentlemen, keep doing the same thing, Labor. Persist with a pro-renewable, pro-climate change platform while failing to sell the benefits of a renewable economy to the workers in the fossil fuel sector. Sure, this strategy is uh, probably not going to work, but the genius of this plan is if they commit to losing long enough sea levels will rise and wipe out the entire Hunter region so that Labor can start with the remaining voting population that will probably believe in climate change because they will have seen it wipe out their whole family. Um, And if we're lucky, there'll be some survivors from the descendants of Joey Johns and they'll lead the Knights to a premiership again. Newcastle wins. The Hunter wins. And most importantly, Labor wins. Thank you very much.
6: The Nova on our panel, do any of those inspire you to vote Labor?
0: Minister for Semyon's a great idea. <laughs> Absolutely. Put
4: myself forward.
6: Yeah.
2: As a visitor, what's yeah. wrong with Gosford? <laughs> yeah, well, Yeah. what is wrong with Gosford? <laughs>
0: oh, no,
8: I've clearly never, you've never been to Gosford. I've never
4: Gosford. been to Gosford. No-one no, no, no no. here has been to Gosford. <laughs> if you drive through Gosford. That's yeah, how it works. Yeah, right, right, right.
8: It's, it, there's a Central Coast Newcastle... Thing, it's a, it's a you know, it's a it's a little cousin.
2: Yeah, I fucking hate him.
8: <laughs> <laughs> See, that got you the applause you were seeking, yeah, right?
2: Exactly. I'm desperate for applause. <laughs> I'll say
6: anything. <laughs> Now, Melbourne's recent COVID outbreak has meant that a whole bunch of music festivals have been cancelled, including the replacement for The Groo and the Moo, uh, Fresh Produce, which is a real shame because music festivals are where some of our biggest and brightest ideas come to light at these festivals. Um, A few years ago, we did a show at Splendour in the Grass, and we asked some punters there just how they would solve the rift between Israel and Palestine. Um, (laughs) And the results... We're pretty interesting. Uh, so I'm asking people for solutions to big problems. How do we fix Israel and Palestine? With ketamine. Ecstasy. Lots, lots of ketamine. As a matter of lots fact,
11: of I had this discussion. I'm not even <laughs> fucking joking. <laughs> oh, what are the motherfucking eyes? We're to solve the whole world peace, get the United Nations in a room, give them a line of the finest ecstasy, and the world will be solved.
0: All <laughs> the isn't Ignat at Splendour should sh- go to those people.
6: Just get on MDMA and fucking chill out.
0: You get a democracy.
6: What if I have told me me you me that me Israel me had a, a d- democratic government?
0: Well, we all know that's not true because of the, um, the IBIS group. <laughs> what are they called? The IBIS group. <laughs>
6: What's your message to Benjamin Netanyahu?
11: Don't know who he is, my friend.
6: What's your message to Benjamin Netanyahu?
11: I'll say... Get brown, chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it's my oldest opinion. Either, either one way, I'm sorry to say this, but one of them has to be bombed. <gasps> oh, yeah, We're asking people
6: to solve big problems. I've got a question for you. I've got a really big problem. What is it? Red Bull hurts my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Now, tell me the science behind it, brother. I've had a big weekend, but there is also some sort of sore growing on my lips now. How do we fix Israel and Palestine? You just have a big door for something.
0: What's that mean? Sorry? What's Israel and Palestine?
6: Uh, They're two countries. They should have splendour there. I reckon if we got Rufus just pumping 50k system
11: on the fucking Gaza Strip, a lot of it'll be peace, love, and AIDS.
6: <laughs> what's, your, what's your message to Benjamin Netanyahu? Who's that? <laughs> you uh, a two-state? Are you a two-state solution for Israel and Palestine?
5: I'm a five-state solution. <laughs> Benjamin, Prime Minister of Israel. You need to dance and just oh. love everyone. Oh.
8: Yes. You, need you need to need dance. dance. You need to dance. 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 Come dance. to
5: Splendor in the Grass, and we will dance. come to our tent, and we will just we will look after you, and we'll all dance come together prison. like. <coughs> <coughs> oh, I
2: don't know. I think Splendor is probably the wrong place to ask questions like that. Why do you think that is? I don't know, man. Everyone's pretty fucked. <laughs>
6: I knew we should have opened with the Israel gear. Oh. <laughs> yeah, hey, have
0: you put that one on Twitter?
6: No, no. No, no. no why would I put that on, on Twitter? Why would I put that on Twitter? Because I'd get cancelled, that's why. Oh. <laughs> it was on National Broadcaster. We, that was on SBS at some point. And we, yeah, so, you know, it's on SBS. So? No one watches, no one, you get more people watching it on Twitter than SBS. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, Kirsten Drysdale.
0: down) <clears throat> <clears throat> Uh, Hey guys, so look, I just want to start by checking in with everyone, you know, how's your climate anxiety, guys? (laughs) Pretty bad? Yeah. Yeah, it sucks, I get it. But try being me. (laughs) Try being married to a coal miner. (laughs) Well, technically he's a diesel mechanic, but when I'm not letting my cognitive dissonance get the better of me, I call it what it is. He's a diesel mechanic who works on a coal mine, fixing the machines that dig up the coal. Or maintaining the washing plant that sorts the coal. Or repairing the pump that stops the tailings dam from spilling over and polluting the surrounding waterways with toxic effluent that's a byproduct of digging up coal. My husband's the latest in a long line of miners that stretches back in his family a dozen generations all the way to Cornwall, which is where coal was invented by Captain Cook. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a lie, and it partly is. But this here (laughs) is literally a book tracking my husband's, quote, ancient mining family name and heritage as far back as the 1500s. It's a great read, although if I had known before we got married just how many murderers were in the bloodline, I may have reconsidered this union. (laughs) Anyway, until not so long ago, this was a perfectly honourable way to make a living. Fucking cancel culture. (laughs) The thing is, we're not idiots. We care about the future. We've got two kids who we love very much. Actually, if I'm being totally honest, we've got one kid we love very much. <laughs> the other one's a bit like, yeah, you know, take it or leave it. But look, the point is, my husband's job causes our family an increasingly intolerable amount of moral anxiety and makes my efforts to live a carbon neutral lifestyle really quite challenging. Put it this way a return flight from Sydney to Melbourne puts out about 0.2 metric tonnes of carbon. My husband brings about that much carbon home and coal dust each week. Our sheets look like we've had a threesome with a chimney sweep. <laughs> when you want to carbon offset a flight, you literally just tick a box and pay like $2. For me to carbon offset my husband, I'd have to plant a rainforest, build a wind farm and braid Greta Thunberg's hair every single day for the rest of my life. Like, I sign up to 100% green energy, I ride my bike, I march in rallies. I do earth hour, but then my husband goes to work and repairs the overheating torque converter on a D11 Caterpillar bulldozer and I'm back to square one. What can I do? I love the guy. He's understandably hesitant about quitting his job when we've got a mortgage and two small children to look after and I'm understandably hesitant about encouraging him to when I'm about to go back to uni because working in the media has hardly made me a reliable breadwinner. (laughs) Most of my work these days is doing... (laughs) Most of my work these days is doing unpaid guest spots on my friend's podcast. You're getting paid for this? The applause is (laughs) the payment. (laughs) Worth it. Some of them haven't heard of it.
6: (laughs) I mean, up until yesterday, I thought there was only going to be 40 of you. Well, well, I'm so relieved now. You're definitely getting paid. we
0: get a profit share here, do we? (laughs) Look, as soon as something comes up that he can jump to, he will. In the meantime, I just have to do whatever I can to offset the damage. I've had some success. When we first started dating, my husband drove a V8 Commodore ute. I was like, dude, I work at the ABC. You can't drop me off in that thing. They'll think it's a terrorist attack. (laughs) So we traded it in for a much less thirsty VW Golf. Sure, it was emasculating to go from driving a high-octane petrol Australian muscle car to a diesel German hatchback, but it was worth it knowing the pollution wasn't anywhere near as bad. (laughs) Mm. Then the Volkswagen emissions cheating scandal broke and we realised he'd cucked himself for nothing. (laughs) Well, not for nothing, my cover story that I was dating a dental technician from the Central Coast held up a lot longer than it would have otherwise. <laughs> and look, I've had other ideas. You know, I thought we could set up a GoFundMe page to support him while he reskills. But then I realised it's only socially acceptable to ask your friends for money to fund your overseas holidays and not to help you leave an industry that's destroying the planet. <laughs> Okay, then I thought, okay, like, pivot, pivot. What about sex work? Like, for him, not me. <laughs> you know, there must be people out there who are into soot-smeared 42-year-old men operating heavy machinery, you know? Like, no kink gets shamed these days. But then his OnlyFans account got shut down because it just looked like he was doing horny blackface in high-vis work <laughs> Then I thought, and look, I know this might sound a bit crazy, but just stick with me for a moment. What if the government took some of the money from the massive profits mining companies have made digging up the nation's natural resources and used it to help retrain the workers in those industries so that ordinary people stuck in these jobs could move on to something new. Ideally, something that didn't require them to have chest x-rays every two years to screen for black lung, which is not just a joke in Zoolander, it's a real thing. But then I remembered we are currently ruled by mouth-breathing troglodytes who would rather return to harvesting whale blubber than admit that maybe, just maybe, in the year 2021, one of the wealthiest and most highly educated countries in the world could find something a little bit smarter to do than digging up rocks. Especially when the mining companies are going to cut and run the moment coal becomes economically unviable, which should be any second now. So anyway... Having run out of options, I'm left with no choice. Chris, honey, I love you. (laughs) But the only way I can truly offset you is to offset you. (laughs) With a divorce. (laughs) Probably should have ended with
2: a joke. That was the the saddest ending to a comedy bit.
6: I want you to know, twenty three cents of each ticket is going to go to carbon offsetting, uh, <laughs> Chris tonight. So thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, do you have general, cl- uh, you know, the, I know that's a facetious piece for the show, but is there a is there a serious anxiety
0: about about this? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, like everybody gets that kind of moment probably every day where you go. Oh God, the world's gonna end. And like for us, it's very, very, very close to home.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when you started dating your now husband, and you and I were working together in um, uh, Mother Russia at the ABC. <laughs> and and I remember when you told, you were like, I oh, was a coal miner, and we were all like. Oh. <laughs> Well, well, well. You, yeah. were, you were dating yeah. a heroin
4: junkie at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, It was fine. Yeah, it was
2: fine. That was fine. Everyone was like,
6: get him, her to a needle room. I'm like, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've also been to your house and you've got a lot of nice stuff. So it's like, why am I doing working at ABC?
0: <laughs> it's also like, yeah, they call it the golden handcuffs because it's, you know, it's not like it's a poorly paid job, and it but it is hard to to jump away from something when you don't have something to jump to. Like, you know, we're happy to take a pay cut, but there's got to be something to go to.
6: Is that what you think about working at ABC? Do you have golden handcuffs or
2: something they're, made they're, out of bolts? They're, a- they're those
0: plastic handcuffs that you get <laughs> from a toy
6: shop. They're, they're
2: very cheap and they're, they're actually quite easy to break.
0: They're zip ties and you all love wearing yeah.
4: them. You're also like, no, do me. <laughs>
6: <laughs> all right, Lee. <laughs> I won't yuck your yum. (laughs) Our next guest has been trying to get people to move to a just transition to a fossil free future for the last 15 years. So it's safe to say she's a little tired. Um, So please welcome Georgina Woods. Georgina, thank you so much for risking it and coming and sit on a panel of comedians and smart asses to talk about climate justice. It's really wonderful. First of all, you you describe yourself as a hypocrite and a failure, uh, <laughs> but isn't it in your interest that no one moves from fossil fuels so you can keep your job?
8: It's very true. I have I do think about that, <laughs> and I, I, it's. It's a hit I'm willing to take, it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make, go onto the doll queue, become unemployed, uh, if, if we could actually do this.
6: Why do you call yourself a hypocrite and a failure? Like, like, is that hard to identify every day, getting up and looking yourself in the mirror?
8: Um, well, I guess it's kind of hard, but failure because I have, I have literally been in, you know, strategy meetings and, you know, this sort of... Yep talking to other environmentalists and kind of going like, I've been working on, you know, coal in the Hunter and, and climate change for 20 years. <laughs> and it's like, that's a, still a really, really big problem, you know. It, it hasn't really gotten that far in all that time. So that's that's why failure. And um, hypocrite is really something that the, the Matt Canavans, um, you know, of the world uh, like to chuck around at environmentalists yeah. because we use computers and we, you know, might drive cars and... Uh, because we are all you know entangled in this it's it's you know we're not on the other side we're not not part of this society, uh, Kirsten knows it really well like and I think this these you are know, so brilliant really to illustrate that it's not like an us and them thing. coal miners aren 't aliens uh, people use yeah. stuff that uses fossil fuels, and I am one of them
4: yeah, are you um going out with a
6: coal miner as well?
8: Yeah. <laughs> No, but, you know, I'm not ruling it out.
6: <laughs> well, tonight we have a lonely coal miner in the audience.
8: Come on down,
4: Darren!
6: Yeah! <laughs> activist wants a husband. It's a new TV show
0: <laughs> coming you, you to SBS2. You can have full custody of the dud kid. That you guys can have that
4: one. I'm just an activist standing in front of a coal miner.
6: <laughs> <laughs> when we spoke earlier this week, you said, Oh, I get it. You want me to explain the weirdness in The Hunter. When you said that, like, what is the weirdness in the Hunter?
8: Well, I mean, I suppose the weirdness really is this sort of uh, exaggerated idea that people have yep. about what it's all about, and it's sort of people from the outside the region go, "It's a moonscape," you know, which yep. is kind of puts the nose out of joint of the vignerons and you know people who kind of you know are farmers and tourist industry because actually it's a very very beautiful place. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. it's not a moonscape at all, and
2: it's much better than Gosford. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Stay down, Gosford. And, you know, there's others who say the mining industry is not important at all, you know, it only employs impl- 2% yeah. of people around the country, but in actual fact there's a really, really large amount of people here who rely f- on it for their livelihoods mm. and that's, that's real. And so that's the weirdness is just sort of competing kind of sweeping statements about what it's all about. Do you
6: have faith that there's going to be what we all hope for, which is a just transition and a, fa- and a fast transition in the next two years?
8: Uh, I wouldn't describe it as faith. Um, I mean, I'm very excited by some of the stuff going on. I'm now part of the Hunter Jobs Alliance, which is a sort of collaboration of environmentalists and unions to try and just sort of break this taboo of talking about what the region is going to do once the coal export industry declines. Uh, and that has really changed things a lot. So I'm, I'm excited rather than kind of hopeful or faithful, I suppose.
6: When you're going like toe-to-toe on, the, on, your, on your battles on the ground how do you kind of keep an eye on the big picture? Like, you know, in this podcast, Rational Fear, we talk to a lot of climate leaders who are all focused on the macro, but you're very much someone who is, you know, in the trenches, in the pits, for a, for a better word. Like, how do you kind of keep it, that eye, that vision of the, of the major goal whilst you're, whilst you're going toe-to-toe with people here? I
8: mean, that's pretty tricky. I guess I don't. Um, because the big picture is really awful, and um, you can't really, you know, and this is a comedy show, so apologies for bringing down the tone, but you know, no, you no, no like
2: Kirsten already talked about a divorce, so <laughs> we're, we're at rock bottom.
8: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to do what's in front of you, and um, you know, I, I actually try not to read stuff about climate change much anymore, or watch the films and all, all that stuff. I don't, I don't engage. I just, I just do what's in front of me.
6: There's something to be said for the language that's wrapped around climate change. Like a lot of it is obfuscation and full of jargon. And, But is the reality, is there a simpler reality behind all of these huge words? Like we've got so many layers of bureaucracy all talking about climate change but all talking about it in this crazy language that you never heard of before.
8: Yeah, I mean, there is the reality, and I think one of the things that really fucks us up on this is that we've got this sort of really quite primary, straightforward problems of rivers drying up and, you know, huge storms and big holes in the ground with no plans to fill them and, you know, a huge workforce with very well-paid jobs, not quite sure where they're going to go in 20 years' time – but it's all kind of obfuscated and clouded into this sort of language of, you know, the voluntary land mitigation and access policy and the approved methods for assessing air pollution. And and, and you make a submission on this in the new period of public yeah, hearing. Switching and then
10: off. F- yeah. Now, yeah,
8: yeah. yeah, so it's like my job is like explaining the government to people and trying to sort of bridge that gap to say, well, when they say, you know, strategic release framework, what they mean is... <laughs> they're going to be putting out new areas for coal exploration, you know, out West.
6: I like it. it was James that said he's switching off because he negotiated the TPP and has worked in The Hague. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, nah, I've got PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> so, and how do you cut through that bureaucratic jargon to kind of make a simpler case? Like, there's a simpler, there's a simpler world out there that many of us want to understand and want to be part of. So how do you make that case?
8: Yeah, I mean I think you always have to bring and this is what I'm saying about the big picture you have to bring it back to things that people understand mm. and they see right in front of them and and that's why you know what matters to people in the Hunter is the the pollution in the air and the effect that the industry has on the river and the dislocation of rural villages I and mean, that's really immediately what people are seeing mm. and that's and that's where their hearts lie.
4: In researching for this gig I actually saw that the seawall um, fell over in Newcastle is that to do with <laughs> mining or is it that- the seawall. Sea oh, board, the yeah. Stockton. Yeah, it did, yeah. It's really. Well,
8: there, there was a coal mine right on the beach at Stockton. There you go. Uh, yes, a long time ago. <laughs> I <laughs> thought so. Unrelated, unrelated to the, to the erosion that's happening Got Got now. Got it, yep.
2: Wow.
6: <laughs> Breaking news, irrational fear, yeah.
2: Saturday night.
8: <laughs> George,
6: for you there, do you have a sense of hope to keep you going? Like what, what drives you to keep working in this space?
8: well i mean i there 's a lot of people who live with the impacts of mining who I have worked with you know for all the time i 've been with Lock the Gate, which is um, eight years or so and they you know they have no choice they 're kind of stuck there and uh, I, you know I owe it to them to to continue being um, being there for them essentially and you know it's it 's really it 's wonderful work it doesn 't it's very, uh, it's very rewarding. I, that's all I can say.
2: Tragically, you'll probably have a longer career than coal miners. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh God,
2: yeah. <laughs> Sorry, well,
6: Kirsten. Sorry, Kirsten. Yeah.
0: No, that, that's good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's
0: actually good news that we just want to be forced to become unemployed, you know? We don't want to voluntarily... Become unemployed
8: <laughs> together? It's yeah. like we'll just solve the whole problem by everybody becoming unemployed.
0: <laughs> Universal basic income. No, I actually wanted to ask George because I I um, have done a few events with George in Newcastle and I find you don't want to embarrass you, but I find you incredibly inspiring but also incredibly intimidating and terrifying. And I would never, ever fuck with you. And like, But, like, you would have been involved in some really, like, heated confrontations at some of the, like, actions that you've been at. And are you ever scared when people are really in your face or do you just, like, really get off on that?
8: <laughs> uh, at protest actions, I don't tend to get scared, no. I kind of get scared before... And then after, and then when you're there, it's just it just all flows like you're just in the moment.
0: And have you ever been in, in a situation where you've actually felt like you're actually physically in danger, like someone's going to hit you or anything like that?
8: No, I now mean, have I have been in situations where that's happening to somebody very close by, um, and actually that was a forest protest, and and a very dear friend of mine put his body in, in the way of the axe that was chopping down the tripod that my friend was sitting at the top of, uh, which was, you know... See what yeah. I'm saying, man? Like, this this is, don't fuck with I, that. Well, it wasn't me. I was just a witness. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is... Uh, I guess uh, it's... Protesting is um, a way to bring to the surface a lot of these contradictions and challenges. And it sort of doesn't really provide any answers. It's, it's just about questioning. It's just about bringing things right up close for people and going, wow, is this actually a good idea?
0: And what about when you're in the room with people, you know, politicians or people from mining companies, you know, really high-powered, high-profile people? Do you ever find yourself intimidated there? Do you intimidate them?
8: I don't know. One of my good... If you want to hear this story, one of my my best stories from last year, which was a difficult year for many people, was having a stand-up argument with Stephen Gallagher, the head of the Minerals Council in New South Wales, in New South Wales Parliament... And um, it was because he sort of walked casually past me and sort of said, hello, Georgina. And I just sort of went, you know, I don't want to talk to you, sort of thing. And, and he had a go at me for not being nice to him. And, um, and I just lost it. And I, <laughs> I was just... say this on tape? Uh, no, no, this is, this, is, this is just for all of you. Um, I was just sort of like, is this just a job for you? Like, this isn't just a job for me. I'm not just going to clock on and clock off and say, g'day, Steve, you know, great to see you. This is actually life you know, life-affecting stuff for people that I work with and I can't just put it all aside and, and pretend like I'm just a professional.
0: Mm.
8: So, not a politician. Yeah. Really.
6: Well, George, if you ever get stuck, you could probably always just um, become chair of Newcastle University. Uh,
8: yes. uh, <laughs> Chancellor. Chancellor, Chancellor. Chancellor. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that post will reopen again quite yeah, soon. Yeah, Everyone, Georgina Woods.
12: <laughs> Woo! A rational fear. Yeah.
6: And Lewis Homer!
2: i are going to try standing up. Is this... It's, I've ne- I was just saying to Dan when we got in here, I've never done comedy up before. <laughs> It's really unusual. It's an unusual situation.
6: James, like, James also said that, and I maintain it's because you're the two tallest people. I've never
2: had to look <laughs> up at anyone. I feel like a small-town lawyer. of there.
10: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, it's always fun to try to pivot out of um, climate action back into comedy, so stick with me. I want to talk uh, not about the climate, but uh, about the vaccines, another upbeat topic. Who's with me? All right, yeah, one more applause for Lewis. Uh, all right, all right. I don't know if you've heard, but the uh, COVID vaccine rollout is going very badly. <laughs> right now, Scott Morrison couldn't organise a syringe on the set of train spotting.
10: <laughs> By the
2: end of March, he planned to have four million people vaccinated. <laughs> And they just missed that target by 3.4 million people.
10: <laughs>
2: <coughs> this week, the government revealed it hadn't vaccinated aged care workers and they didn't even know how many aged care residents had started getting shots. Has anyone here been vaccinated? All right. Just by asking that question, I know more than the government about the COVID <laughs> vaccine rollout. But in times of crisis, I think it's very important to take the government's lead and instead of looking at what we can do, start looking at who we can blame. (laughs) Let's start with the Labor leaders. We all know Dan Andrews is crawling out of his hospital bed at night, throwing away his fake back brace and creeping out to sprinkle COVID under the beds of Melbourne's children. (laughs) The media are obviously also to blame. Health Minister Greg Hunt got very angry at the media for saying that older people who were nervous about getting the AstraZeneca vaccine could wait until the Pfizer arrived. Um, He said the media were promoting vaccine hesitancy. The media were directly quoting Greg Hunt. (laughs) And that really pissed off Greg Hunt, who is a Greg Hunt. (laughs) Now, the government is also very angry at boomers who have developed this vaccine hesitancy. Um, for those following at home, yes, this is the same vaccine hesitancy the government refused to stop Craig Kelly doing. What, Craig Kelly fans? What the fuck? What a weird silence. Big on vibe in here yeah, tonight. Yeah, I was about to say. How interesting. OK, let's explore that as we go on. Interesting. (laughs) Wow, wow, fuck, I didn't see. I've never met someone who likes Craig Kelly. It's so crazy. Um, But actually, I think that the the vaccine hesitancy problem is actually quite easy to fix because um, boomers stopped trusting vaccines because they believe anything they read on Facebook. Uh, so what I've done is I've prepared some boomer-friendly messaging that you can write on your own Facebook wall at any time uh, to make boomers get their second jab quicker than their second home. <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah, that's right. I know what you own. Well, What else are you going to take away from me? Come on. All right, here we go. <clears throat> here are some things you can write on your Facebook wall. Uh, to get boomers to take the vaccine. Tell them the vaccine doesn't insert a microchip. It inserts an audiobook about Graham Kennedy written by Peter Fitzsimons. <laughs> Tell them the vaccine is just an extra hot coffee. <laughs> Tell them it's an iPad. Tell them it's a painting by an Indigenous artist. (laughs) Tell them it's a funny tea towel. (laughs) Tell them the vaccine is a mountain bike. (laughs) Tell them the vaccine is a low-res family photo. (laughs) Tell them it's a podcast with Annabelle (laughs) Crabb. Tell them the vaccine would like to hear a story about an old neighbour who recently died. (laughs) Tell them the vaccine agrees that the two years of high interest rates in the early 90s was the greatest hardship a generation ever faced. Tell them it's a BBC drama. (laughs) Tell them it'll make Netflix easier to use. Tell them it's a carport. Tell them it's a second fridge. (laughs) Tell them it doesn't use American words like diaper and store. It uses Australian words like nappy and shop. <laughs> <laughs> now, we all know that would 100% get the vaccine rollout back on track. <laughs> but weirdly, that is not the approach our Prime Minister is taking. No, you might have heard this news yesterday. He's calling in the army. Yeah. Yesterday, he announced, in one of his trademark announcements, uh, that the new head of the Na- National Vaccine Task Force would be Lieutenant General John Fruin. Uh, if co- I don't know who he is either, but he's a Lieutenant General, <laughs> head of the Army. If calling in the Army to fix his problems sounds extreme, keep in mind, Scott Morrison loves to play with his Army men. When he was the Minister for Border Protection, he called in the Army to stop the boats, then, once the, boat, once the army had done that, he made himself a little boat-shaped trophy, saying, I stopped the boats. I don't know if anyone in the army got a trophy. They may have got a small participation boat. <laughs> Personally, me, I love the idea of getting the military to run a vaccination campaign. It's intimidating but fun. <laughs>
12: you can never
2: quite get a read on what's going on. <laughs>
6: Big defence crowd in No,
2: <laughs> Craig Kelly, you're not okay with... Military on the fence. Boomers, you came around. <laughs> <laughs> Applause, we all love. <laughs> all right, hey. stick with me. Try to stick with me. I wasn't begging, but thank you.
6: Will you be closing with Gosford? Uh, yeah. There's a fuck Gosford coming, so
2: stick with me. All right, all right, here we go. Now, stick with me on this army thing, okay? Because I actually think it's a really good idea, right? I would love to see people's faces when they look up to see Ben Robert Smith walking through the streets threatening to kick anyone who won't get the vaccine up the ass with a prosthetic leg he's carrying for some reason. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I knew when I asked you to stick with me that I would be losing you and I don't care. I don't (laughs) care. Why stop with the army? Get the air force involved. I want to see fighter jets dropping syringes into aged care facilities. I want to see retired veterans pull their old rifles out of the closet, toss away their bayonets, affix a Pfizer and go back on the road. Jab, 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 jab! (laughs) We'll fight the anti-vaxxers on the beaches of Byron Bay. (laughs) We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. And then we'll blame the cost on Kevin Rudd or some shit. (laughs) Look, I get why uh, Scotty calls up defence anytime he's on the defensive. Uh, People trust the army and they're already on the payroll. But I really think there's another group on the payroll who are being criminally overlooked when it comes to helping the vaccine rollout. These people live in Canberra in a building paid for by taxpayers. They're getting taxpayer-funded training every day. I'm talking about the Australian Institute of Sport. Now, (laughs) the Prime Minister said that the vaccine rollout wasn't a race. Well, right now we have hundreds of perfectly trained athletes for an Olympics that probably won't happen. So let's put them to work and make it a race. First of all... No-one knows more about experimental drug treatments than (laughs) 100-metre sprinters. (laughs) Test the vaccines on them. Then put things in their bodies that would stop laps (laughs) heart. Once the team doctors have a locally produced vaccine that prevents COVID and is also untraceable by the Anti-Doping Authority, (laughs) we store them in the cool room used to acclimatise our Winter Olympians. (laughs) Then we're on to the AIS's gold medal standard vaccine logistics. Well, <laughs> this is quite a plan, so come on the journey. All right. An Australian weightlifter lifts boxes of vaccines off the shelves, then carries them to a javelin thrower who hurls individual vaccines across the warehouse. Our 4x100 metre medley relay team will swim vaccines across the sea to Tasmania, while the rest will travel in short shorts of marathon runners as they jog off to remote corners of regional Australia. The syringe is passed like a relay baton from the marathon runners to the power walkers. If they encounter any anti vaxxers, a high jumper will frosby flop over them gracefully. <laughs> Each regional Victorian centre will contain PPE from the fencing team and one Greco Roman wrestler. Their job is to pin down vaccine-hesitant boomers while our welterweight boxers strap on latex gloves and instead of giving a left jab to the face, give an Australian a right jab in the arm. <laughs> Using the power of the AIS, I predict we can have the nation fully vaccinated by the end of the week. <laughs> then all we need is to get Nikki Webster to sing a closing ceremony <laughs> and get all the athletes back to Canberra for an athlete village level fuckathon. <laughs> if Scott Morrissey needs any more convincing, I promise when that's all over and everyone agrees that athletes have done their job perfectly, he can get a, get a little gold medal that says he did it all himself.
6: Lewis Hopper, everyone, that's it for Rational Fear. Big thank you to DJ Dillabolical, James Tender, Kirsten Drysdale, Georgina Woods, Lewis Hopper. Also, a big thank you to Isaac, Ash, Annette, everyone here at the Civic Theatre in Newcastle. Big thanks to Roadmike, the Bertha Foundation, Go Neutral, Token, Jacob Round on the Teppanyaki Timeline, Rupert Dagas, Virginia Gay. My name's Dan Lewis. This has been Irrational Fear. Until next time, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! <laughs> Hi, Dead Elch here back again. That was Newcastle, and as you can tell by the end of the show, they were very much on board with what we had to say. Uh <laughs> ah, and I should let you know if you want any of the things that I was talking about in Uh, my section of the podcast where I do Alan Jones and Dorothy McKellar Sunburnt Country well you can download them from the Irrational Fear newsletter so go to www.irrationalfear.com give us your email address and then we'll send it out we'll send out the Dorothy McKellar in Comic Sans and the the fake Alan Jones article that you can print off yourself to put up in your regional shop front window we'd love to see that and please please put it on Twitter or Facebook or email me back uh, a picture of your Alan Jones or Dorothy McKellar posted up in the front window of your local shop. We'd love to see that. Before I play the bigger Show, I just want to let you know that we will be coming to Melbourne on August 14th, so make sure you put that in your diary. Right now, though, here are the best bits of the bigger Show. Now, fear mongers, regional Australia, how is what is the best way to beat climate denialism or to communicate the real climate facts in regional Australia?
11: I think one of the ways that uh, you gotta, you got to understand the way people communicate in, in regional Australia, mm-hmm. and I think one of those ways is uh, bumper stickers. <laughs> and so instead of uh, a lot of bumper stickers, you know, replace the fuck off, we're full... And uh, with, uh, fuck off, we're full of too much carbon dioxide.
2: <laughs> you could just, um, like, put one a tiny little bumper stick, you could shrink them and put them on each one of the um, mice that are plaguing the entire <laughs> town Just on the back end of every little mouse, millions of them spreading the message.
5: I think, it, I think if you're going off, like, what my regional town where I grew up, how information spread there the most efficient way, uh, town gossip. <laughs> like, so I feel you, like if you just say something like, oh, So-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so slept with a solar panel. Um.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you should tell the hairdresser. That's how it starts. Yeah, she'll tell everyone. (laughs) Did you hear? (laughs) <laughs> he fucked a solar panel.
5: <laughs> and then Don't tell anyone, Sharon. Solar panel in the mouth good? of every yes. single person <laughs> in the region south. And That's just good? my town.
6: It was the best sex I've ever had. Oh. <laughs> um, well, Gabby, you know, the people here in the southeast of the continent have suffered pretty horrendous things over the last 18 months. Yeah. Uh, bushfires, the promise of a notional recovery fund that hasn't turned up, uh, inner-city-lifty in podcast coming in to do a podcast. Worse, uh, You guys have suffered. I'm really sorry. Um Gabby, is there a bright side to anything that these people have been through?
5: Ah, um, uh, well, I've brought this Sesame Street style song, so I found one that I think you might like. Can you guys hear that up the back? Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. Could I have a little more in the back? We can cut this out of the podcast. Cheers, John. Thanks. Anyway... You might not have a million bucks Might not have your cats and dogs Might not even have your shoes and socks But at least Scott shook your hand Might not have a good next step Might not have time to take a breath Might not have any fucking house left But at least Scotty shook your hand And he says oh no don't you know that i don't hold a hose oh no that's not for me unless it were a photo opportunity (laughs) might have promised you some relief might have said he'll pay whatever you need and he might pop on over to hawaii but he can cause he shook your hand spin solo never said that. I resent that. I don't hold a hose, mate. I disagree with the premise of the question. (laughs) Yeah, it's going well. Um, actually, Jen told me that bushfires are, in fact, bad, and until she said that to me, and she also said that how would you feel if our girls died in a bushfire? Um, I really hadn't put it in perspective, so I've decided to deal with the bushfire crisis by praying we never get another one, and I feel way better. Thank you so much, Jen. <clears throat> uh- Lights enough to start another fucking fire. I can't believe he's still in after such a failure. I can't believe he even got in after Tourism Australia. <laughs> might not have a fucking clue. Might not spare a thought for me or you. And he might spend all his time protecting pervy dudes. But at least Scotty shook your hand. Might not possess any empathy. Might not. Hold governing policy and he might not know how to run the fucking country but at least Scotty shook your hand oh yeah at least Scotty shook your hand well he tried to it's more (laughs) that he stole your hand and then lied to you but he will say he shook your hand
6: yeah (laughs) thank you a rational fear fear. (laughs) Dylan Dane everyone
9: Hello, hello, hello. Uh, Yes, I'm the DJ normally, professionally known as Hobo Paul Schaefer (laughs) to Dan Illick. Uh, I run a little podcast called News Fighters uh, where I play funny clips and talk about them. And look, we've hung a lot of shit on Scott Morrison tonight, so I just thought I'd keep it going. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's great to be back here in Bega. I actually grew up on the South Coast. Here I am, there I am, having my fifth birthday at the Bega Cheese Factory. Look at that. Look at that. (laughs) And look, here I... Here I am, uh, here at Cabago Public School. There I am, front row, <laughs> 1986. Ah, oh, what happened?
6: Keep um, the slideshow going. I'm loving this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw out yeah, the jokes. Yeah, yeah. More about Dylan's childhood. <laughs> this is this is actually this is your life what, when, 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 <laughs> or
5: therapy session.
9: <laughs> uh, and of course, look, you know, growing up in and around Cabago as I did, have to say nothing brought me more pride than when watching the news last year. And I saw this happen.
5: Touring the fire-ravaged town of Cabago, a firefighter refused to shake the PM's hand.
3: Scott Morrison heckled in Cobargo.
9: Nah, you an idiot, mate. Oh. You really <laughs> are. Why getting any votes down buddy? You're not welcome, you fuckwit. <laughs> yeah, Scott Morrison there inventing the uh, social distancing uh, lack of handshakes. <laughs> uh, afterwards, believe it or not, Scott Morrison refused to believe that this anger was actually directed at him.
3: Scott Morrison today
12: says he doesn't take it personally. I don't take it personally. I I just see it as a sense of frustration.
9: Mate, you should take it personally. Everyone hates you. You turned up for a photo op in the middle of a catastrophic tragedy. What about the words, you're not welcome here, you fuckwit? (laughs) Fuck off, mate. Do you not understand? Anyways, we are we are here to talk was about
6: There's almost an applause there. Hang on a second.
10: Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> As a religious guy who is also obsessed with shaking hands, I wonder how he feels about the fact that like God immediately after this sent down a plague that prevented him from touching anyone? <laughs> Might have been a sign.
10: Yeah. Don't touch people, Stop Scott.
2: doing it, Scott. Fuck yes. I... All right, fine, I'll send you a fucking bad plague. Stop doing it. <laughs> but we are here
9: to talk about climate change. That's the theme of, the theme of tonight. Uh, and with an election around the corner, Scott Morrison's been out on the world stage and he's, uh, he's, had, he's had to finally answer some annoying questions like when the hell is Australia going to commit to net zero emissions? And, and isn't he nailing it?
12: Our goal is to reach net zero emissions as soon as possible and preferably by 2050. Australia is on the pathway to net zero. Our goal is to get there as soon as we possibly can. For Australia, it is not a question of if or even by when for net zero, but importantly how.
9: What a lack of... Imagine if you you had this kind of lack of commitment in your relationship. Honey, we've been engaged for 12 years. When are we going to get married? Well, dear, it's not a question of... If or when we get married, but <laughs> how? No, but when? Well, as soon as we possibly can, preferably by 2050. Uh, and when it comes to the how, Scott Morrison says uh, technology is the ticket.
12: The key to meeting our climate change ambitions is commercialisation of low emissions technology. My point about this, though, comes back to technology again. That's why we're investing in priority new technology solutions through our technology investment roadmap initiative the answer is technology not taxes
9: uh, yes so he's saying technology not taxes great technology what kind of technology there's lots of great technology out there. Is he talking about electric vehicles, solar batteries, pumped hydro? What kind of technology is the coalition talking about? Let's have a look.
12: Nuclear energy should be on the table as part of Australia's energy future. That's the finding of a parliamentary committee. Federal Energy Minister Angus Taylor, meanwhile, says the government's
1: more than willing to consider nuclear power. You know, I've been told that Scott Morrison actually supports nuclear power. It's just he knows it's too difficult to sell politically. If you seriously want zero emissions, if that's... What knocks you out? If that's what blows your hair back,
4: well, then nuclear power is where you're going to have to go.
12: If we are serious and are progressing towards net zero emissions, I think it's almost certainly that we'll need to have some form of nuclear power here in Australia to achieve that.
9: Yes, uh, Senator Matt Canavan, National Senator Matt Canavan there. Uh, and He reckons nuclear is really safe, actually. Have a look.
6: Uh, overall,
12: nuclear has been an incredibly safe technology. Uh, people die installing solar panels on roofs.
9: <laughs> yes, but I can't remember there being an HBO mini-series about a rooftop solar panel <laughs> installer. Can you? Uh, but it's not just nuclear. Don't worry, there are some other technologies Scomo's keen on.
12: Our ambition is to produce the cheapest green hydrogen in the world. That one of the most important targets that Australia has is to be able to produce hydrogen at $2 a kilo. Mr President, in the United States, you have the Silicon Valley. Here in Australia, we are creating our own hydrogen valleys. And when it comes to the hydrogen valleys, we can be developing all across the country.
9: Yes, hydrogen valley is uh, coincidentally also the name of the second worst King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard side project. <laughs> of course, uh, the reason our government, if you're wondering where this uh, sudden obsession with hydrogen comes from, i did a bit of research and it turns out that... Uh, They've realised they can they can get away with calling, uh, they can calling it clean hydrogen or blue hydrogen even when it's made by burning coal or gas, mm. thanks to this thing called carbon capture and storage. Isn't that isn't <laughs> that That new technology, isn't that going well? Well, um, (laughs) Which the best I can figure out, uh, this kind of thing, and Scott maybe has more insight into this, kind of works out like I think if you fart and then plant a seedling, the seedling cancels out the fart. Is that that basically how it works? Surely it would be better if you just didn't fart to begin with, right? Yeah. it's
6: like a carbon capture storage means if you fart in a jar and you put it in the ground. That's carbon capture storage. (laughs) That'll work perfectly. (laughs) Well, technically, if I did it, it'd be methane capture storage. Yes. But the extending analogy... To coal plants. That would have been, is that right, Scott Ludlam?
13: Suddenly, this is on me. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
6: yeah, Scott. Um,
2: no, no, this is your analogy. Scott
13: Ludlum, this talk is about your the analogy. Farts. You have to land this. <laughs> yeah.
9: Anyway, uh, Energy Minister Angus Taylor loves hydrogen. Here he is on Radio National uh, talking up blue hydrogen until he's literally blue in the face.
7: Is it green hydrogen or hydrogen made with fossil
9: fuels?
1: It's clean hydrogen. What's that, that mean? That's, that's the point. It's clean hydrogen, so Again, it's not made with let's fossil fuels. not on industries. I'm not
7: let's, declaring war. I'm asking: you, is it well, made with fossil well, fuels or it made with the, renewable energy? The,
1: the, the point that many make when they're asking that question is we, we can't possibly make anything from fossil fuels. Well, you know what? If it's zero emissions, it's fine. That's the point. It's got to be clean. Okay. Uh,
7: so it will be made with fossil fuels, and how do we make be, it zero
1: emissions? It, it will be made with anything that allows us to reduce emissions. There's blue uh, hydrogen that can be done with zero emissions. There's green hydrogen. That can be done with zero emissions. Uh, you know, we need a lot of horses in this race.
9: <laughs> that, that interview went so badly that Angus Taylor was later caught on Facebook saying, "Bad, ang- bad job, Angus." On it. Uh, but the other thing—that was uh, the, a
6: very niche joke for this audience. It was very think, but joke. It's very niche. I like it. Yeah, it's a Twitter yeah. joke. Uh,
9: the, other, uh, the other, reason Morrison loves hydrogen, uh, aside from the fact that it'll keep his billionaire coal mining magnate mates happy, is that it can make trucks go broom.
12: I mean, hydrogen can be used. To drive vehicles. I mean, up there in the Pilbara at the moment, they're putting him in the mining trucks.
9: Yes, let's power some vehicles off flammable hydrogen. Let's see, how did that go last time we tried that? Let's have a look here. Oh, there we go. There's some, there's some nice flammable hydrogen there in the, the Hindenburg. Nice and blue, I think, if it wasn't black and white. Sorry, a bit too soon for the Hindenburg jokes. Uh, anyways, in conclusion, the Australian <laughs> government is kicking the can down the road on climate change, not setting targets and trying to sell us dirty and dangerous, unproven technologies. Uh, but if you think we can't do any better than this, well, maybe we should just uh, have a little look across the ditch to see what's happening No in New
7: fossil fuel subsidies, part of New Zealand's four action points. One, price carbon. Two, make climate-related financial disclosures mandatory. Three, end fossil fuel subsidies. And four, finance adaptation.
9: Now, that's a Prime Minister who can probably get a handshake.
6: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fearmongers, New Zealand appear to be doing a lot better than us in many circumstances. Why is that?
10: Scott, you'll stop, stop looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I
6: live here. What a, sh- what a crazy thing
13: to be famous for. Um, she's got a green climate change minister. Like, there's, yep. a, there's an interesting example. Sorry to be the earnest one. Shit. This um,
6: is why you're here. This okay, is, yeah, yeah, we need okay. that. I'll be
13: really quick, all right? And then these guys can carry on. Um, <laughs> you've got, I think, a very different political culture. It's not saturated with Rupert Murdoch publications. And you've got a green labour alliance where people are actually decent to each other. They show up at each other's press conferences. They support each other. It's not perfect. There's plenty of problems there. But I just think the political culture is very different to here. It's
2: that different. actually sounds like more of a fantasy than Lord of the Rings. Like, <laughs> from a New Zealand perspective. No, they I'm have like, elves wait, 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 wait. as well. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. There's no Robert Merck and they get along. Yes. And they There's all live in holes. Hobbits.
13: Hobbits. <laughs> in the coalition there, they have hobbits. I've seen
2: them. Oh, thank
11: God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I think one of the big problems, uh, the difference between, oh, no, I'm not, Totally familiar with the New Zealand political climate at all, but it, I don't. I just think you can't um, steal from the treasury and govern the country at the same time. It's like it's <laughs> one or the other.
6: Right, <laughs> <laughs> Mick, it's your turn. Just give it a crack. It's my turn. It? Yeah. Oh, right. No. everyone, Mick Nevin. Yeah, hey. a rational fear. Yeah. Yeah.
11: fear is rational. Yes. Uh, hello, everybody. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, what we're doing, of course, is we're talking about uh, uh, climate change, and, and if you look at a lot of what we're saying is pretty negative and you think, well, how can we have hope for the future? And so I'm just trying to lighten the mood a little bit by letting us uh, understand how we can have hope for the future. And if, if you do need to... You need to be optimistic and you need to be positive and if you want to learn lessons on optimism and positivity, look no further than uh, the, the quality of our leadership because they have turned optimism and positivity into an art form, OK? Because well, they, they, don't, they don't call it being bribed... By the fossil fuel industry, do they? They call it a political donation, and they call it a natural transition from politics to the board of Rio Tinto and Anglo American. See, that, that's positivity, isn't it? So <laughs> they, they don't call it—they don't call it—they um, don't call it a colossal waste of taxpayers' money on soon to be uh, useless infrastructure that we don't actually need. See, no, they call it a gas-led recovery. Right, that's positivity. That's optimism, and we need to take that onto ourselves as, as we move forward into the future. Because yeah, like climate change is happening, and the planet's heating up, which is bad. But if you've ever washed, you've done your laundry on a forty-five degree day, it dries like that. Okay, that's positivity. That's positivity, isn't it? you got to look like yes, the polar ice caps are melting, but. That also creates more room to play footy and cricket. <laughs> okay, yes, the sea levels are rising, which is bad. But the more the seas rise, the less room there is for bushfires. <laughs> so that's positivity.
13: Maybe right? too soon, man. That's,
11: po- that's positivity, Scott. This is what we're trying. Like, like, and I think maybe we should lose the term bushfire because there is a lot of negative connotations attached to the word bushfire. I think maybe we should progress in future and we should just call it like free-range barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> like seven houses were lost in today's free-range barbecue. Oh. oh, they just got a little bit overexcited there, didn't they? That's, that's nice. And, and you know, like they do say that um, we we, you know, the one in 100-year fire events are going to become more common and we're going to see them like, one one in 100 year fire events are going to happen every 5 or 6 years which is not great but on the positive side it, it is an opportunity to get more volunteers and people contributing to their community <laughs> you know we're, we're looking at the positives i was evacuated on ash wednesday uh, on black saturday i spent 6 hours patrolling my house doing an ember patrol and you know the 2019 20 fires i inhaled a lot of smoke And, like, how lucky am I that I'm only 46 years old but I've already been through three one-in-a-hundred fire-year events? (laughs) And I'm only 46, I can fit heaps more in. (laughs) I can fit heaps more in. You know, like, if you're saying that, you know, insurance premiums for fire insurance are going up, it's too expensive to get fire insurance, which is bad. But on the positive side, that just encourages self-sufficiency. Doesn't it? Like you know, you, who needs fire insurance when you can have a fucking go, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Stick with me. Stick with me.
10: <laughs> like oh, um, in, in a in
11: a oh, climate Mick, change. Mick, Mick, I
6: probably you, should have warned you. Many of this crowd have recently been through an extremely traumatic um, <laughs> event.
11: I'm moving on from the yeah, fires. Yeah, yeah. I'm moving on I, from yeah, the I, fires.
6: I don't know if you. I should have told you before. I'm moving on from yes. the fires.
11: No, I've watched the news, don't worry. Um, I, think, did I? I was evacuated on Ash Wednesday. No, 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 no. Um, like, in a climate change worst case scenario, we need to be positive, right? And we don't want to, I don't think we should call it the total collapse of civilization as we know it. We should call it a digital detox. <laughs> Like, it's not going to be a brutal fight for survival in the toxic wasteland of a planet that we destroyed through greed and stupidity. Right? It's, it's an opportunity to learn new skills. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Have a go, you get a go. I like your spirit. You, like if you just pick you out, you're sitting right in the front there. Have you ever thought about killing someone? <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking about it at a moment? There we go.
1: Put get on board,
11: like, get on board because like, and just so everyone's aware, right, I am now going to talk about killing someone, but I'm doing it in a sense of positivity. I don't want you to think it as murder, right, don't think of it as murder, think of it as resource management. <laughs> okay, we're being positive because you never know, there could be some climate change disaster could happen before we know it, that no-one predicted. Like the, the, the permafrost is melting, releasing methane into the air, which could suddenly react with all the carbon dioxide and create a thick band of smog around the entire planet, blocking out all the light from the sun, every living thing on earth smothering to death. Humanity starving. No law and order anymore. And it's just me and another dude and a can of peaches. <laughs> I said, well, if I want to eat those peaches, I'm going to have to kill this guy. And he comes at me with, with, with a, ninth, a ninth century Viking battle axe that he's looted from the home of a medieval weapons enthusiast. <laughs> but luckily I've got my replica US Marine K-Bar combat knife. Okay, So he comes in swinging the axe, so I duck under it, grab his arm and just jam that knife up under his ribs, like real close. You look into his eyes, you just see that shock. He's like, oh, he's got me. You give that knife a twist. You feel that hot spurt of blood run down your arm. You just think that's in his heart. He's dead. He goes limp and drops the axe. And you're up close looking into his eyes just watching his soul start to leave his body. And then with his last dying breath, he goes, I just, I just, I just wanted to feed my daughter. And he goes, shh. Enjoy heaven, dickhead. (laughs) And you drop him to the ground and you sheath that knife, you grab that can of peaches, you tear the top off and you start with your bare hands, you're shoveling peaches into your starving mouth. You've got blood and peach juice just dribbling off your chin and you have never felt so alive! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Obviously, I haven't given that a lot of thought. <laughs> it's uh, well, it's just something that popped into my head when I was trying to be optimistic about the future. So, thank you very much. Yeah, Your fear is
1: rational. How do
6: you folks stay optimistic about the future? How do you keep your optimism going? Where we are right now. I mean, Gabby, maybe I start with you. You're you're 25. You're a young person. When yeah, I was
5: to be optimistic about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I'm alive. We're here.
6: Well, when I when I was 25, I started my journey in terms of kind of climate action and trying to trying to make the world a better place. How do you feel about it? Like, um, how do young people keep optimistic?
5: I feel like, well, if we're talking about my very sheltered bubble of social awareness, um, we laugh at anything that's crap. And that tends to just work until right. it doesn't. So we just laugh at terrible, terrible things. Mm.
2: I think it's always good to keep in mind when I'm in a low point uh, about the future of the world and even the, the current of the world is to remember that eventually old people will die <laughs> and, um, and they are the ones who yeah. are really responsible and that's what that's what helps me sleep at night you know, is um, is knowing that my grandparents are already gone and thank god you know
6: they'll never they'll never have to experience what you might have to experience that's yeah. right
2: yeah no my sweet grandparents who I loved and who are gone will never have to see the horrible things that I'll see in mm. my future
11: yeah yeah and that's I'm, how I stay optimistic is what i'm saying uh, yeah
5: i think we fulfilled the assignment that <laughs>
11: Yeah, I, I, you know, I think one cause for optimism from my point of view is that uh, as a 46-year-old, I've really had the best years that I could possibly have and whatever happens now is just going to be it, you know? So yeah. I've I've lived a good life up to now.
6: It, it, it's all peaches from here, mate. <laughs> And,
9: uh, can, oh. can I get your vaccine then, if you don't want it?
11: Yeah. yeah, sure. actually no. I want to go back to Bali at least once, oh, okay, so I'll right. be taking <laughs> on. All right.
10: right on. <laughs> yeah.
11: There you go.
6: Uh, Gabby, the uh, the budget was about four weeks ago, and in that yep. time, you've had time to process who the winners and the losers are.
5: Yeah. Um. That's the preamble we wrote because I wrote this song a month ago. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I mean, look, there are real no, there are no, there are some winners in the budget. I don't know if any of them are in this room, um, or in this state, except for Parliament House. But I've written a song about um, our our views on the budget. Okay. I wrote it for for a little gang called the Chaser, whom now pay me to be stupid. <laughs> so this this song is about the budget, everyone's favourite subject to sing about. I don't care what's in the budget, because Murdoch says it's fine. Sky said battlers loved it, and so did Channel 9. It's my fault that I'm unemployed, so now all my time is free. Everyone's a winner, well, except the ABC. Sorry, Lewis. (laughs) Murdoch back the budget that's all i need to hear i can relax and turn my brain off watch the footy with a beer the country's bouncing back today there's no way we could fail unless you've come from india then you can go to jail there's money for our billionaires because they're so oppressed But if you're on JobSeeker, then they'll send you robo-debt And forget funding inquiries into Indigenous deaths But I do hear that there's cash involved towards some cum-proof desks (laughs) Um, That one was rough. We're lucky in this country... I just remembered
6: we are in a council chambers.
5: Uh. Oh, clean your surfaces, everyone. Uh. Clean your surfaces. (sighs) We're lucky in this country we survived the COVID plague and our budget will reflect the sensible changes that were made so you do not get to whinge and whine about what is being paid. Unless you're over 35 or prefer your grandparents alive or if you're in public education or a victim of house rental inflation or if you want churches to pay tax or will one day get a Pfizer vax in the healthcare sector, a war defector, or in the Centrelink line. Don't worry, because Murdoch says it's fine. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. I apologise for the cum desk
10: joke.
6: Our next guest has worked at the highest levels at the Australian Parliament, striving for climate justice. Now he's just one of you, you know, living and working in Yoruba Dallashire. Despite his name being Scott, he's here for the long haul. Uh, it's Scott Ludlam. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, do you, um, do you get shit for your name? Have you considered calling yourself Scodlud? Uh, LAUGHTER
13: Really? We just said that. Okay, no. No. What's your next question?
6: I know you moved here in 2018. Has anything like major happened since that time? Pretty quiet. No. (laughs) What was it like? You know, you packed up your life in Perth and you 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 moved to this place. Why did you choose this area to move to?
13: It reminds me of the southwest of WA, and actually. It reminds me a little bit of Taranaki in New Zealand. Dairy country and misty and gorgeous. Um, but I came here more or less at random to write a book, Little Writer's Retreat, a couple of years ago, and just had all my stuff moved over. And so now you're stuck with me. I hope that's okay.
6: <laughs> and so were you here during 2019, 2020?
13: Not here, here, but out the back of Kabago, about 20 Ks from Kabago. Wow. The little town that we are so very proud of where that footage was mostly taken.
6: Do you know a few of those people in those clips?
13: A little bit. Yes, but the whole country knows them now.
6: <laughs> um, what are those folks like? What are, what are, you know, the people in those clips like? Are they?
13: Uh, it's a it's a very down-to-earth place. It's surprisingly arty. I mean, it's a, this beautiful kind of crossover of Palmer and pra- prayer flags. This whole district is just really interesting culturally, crossover country.
6: Yeah. Yeah. When you were going through the bushfires, like, how did you... What was your story at that time? Like, how were... What happened to you?
13: Oh... I mean, there must be so many bloody stories yeah. in just in this room. So ours probably not super special, but we were awoken about four thirty five AM uh, New Year's Eve, twenty nineteen, and just evacuated um, as quick as we could. Got out of our place and sheltered in Naruma for a couple of days and spent the next six weeks, I suspect like many people down here, just dodging fires. So we evacuated four times. Um as and ended up with the thing around us on three sides.
6: So it's terrifying. As someone who's been part of the most powerful force in Australia, well, not necessarily in government, but someone who's been in parliament. Come again. I didn't know you uh, no, worked for News that. Corp.
13: I missed that whole chapter of my life.
6: Did you expect when when you're going through that thing? Did you that moment? Did you expect? Oh, in a moment, the federal government is going to do something and will be looked after.
13: We were all hoping that Morrison would helicopter in and try and shake people's hands. (laughs) That's really... (laughs) what everybody in this district was really hoping would happen. (laughs) A couple of people there
6: laughing, I assume.
13: uh, I
11: think think we've been harshly judging Morrison because we've since found out that he wasn't actually shaking hands, he was (laughs) laying on hands and (laughs) healing people with prayer. And I think if we'd known that at the time, it would have made all the difference. Not at all creepy or weird.
6: For you, what was the biggest disconnect of that moment? For, For you who's, you know, you've been part of parliament really and you're in this moment, did you, what, what were you going through in your the head?
13: disconnect is that people have been predicting this for at least 20 years. Ross Garno wrote a thing 20 years or 15 years ago saying by the 2020s, we'll be observing this. This is going to be our reality. So the, the disconnect is that we have seen this thing coming. And it's hard to pretend to be surprised. It's like being surprised by a snail creeping up on you. You know, we've seen this thing coming for an awfully long time mm-hmm. and now it's here.
6: Yeah, Uh, when you saw you were living through the experience of this government's inaction, what surprised you most about that moment?
13: I was surprised. They were so utterly flat-footed. Like before he... Remember that rancid little TV ad that they put out with him kind of striding back in with the army and they'd ripped a bunch of money out of disability funding and suddenly there's going to be cash everywhere? I I felt like for... A, a unit that is basically completely in hock to the coal and gas industry and that people have been predicting this is going to happen for decades, that they would have been a little bit more prepared and at least had their lines straight. But they had absolutely no idea what to do. The guy's in Hawaii. Do you have something funnier to say? I'm no, struggling. no, no, no. I really? was actually Scott, going to
2: ask
6: you. Scott, you shouldn't feel like
2: you need to be funny. No, 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 please. I was fucking actually terrifying. No, anyway, go ahead. I, I promise I'm not here to hurt you, Scott. Um, No, I was really hoping you could lighten the mood. (laughs) Yeah. No, well, what I was wondering is... Yeah. Oh, you fuck. Come on! No, be funny! That's why the people came to see a fight! Um, No, I was wondering if you knew Scott Morrison personally because you don't know him personally? No. Because it's so strange to me because I felt like with previous Prime Ministers, even though I have disagreed with them, I have been able to go, I can see why you wanted this job. I cannot understand why the fuck he wants this job. Like... Do you have any insight as to why he actually wants to be Prime Minister? Because no. it doesn't seem to have any joy from it. God, he doesn't seem insight. to have any sort
11: of direction for it. No. He's doing God's work. He was called to it by God. <laughs> it oh, sounds well, mental. Okay. It sounds mental, but that's why. why really?
2: That's, that's legitimately – because like, now that he's been called, is he waiting for, like, the next call to tell him what to do? Like – What's going on? I, I wish John would call on nothing. him to
6: manage a time zone. I think that would be. That feels a more appropriate job for Scott Morrison. A, a lot of flashing lights. <laughs> uh... No, nothing. You would ask
13: the same question why does this bag of custard want to be the Prime Minister? And you'd come, <laughs> <laughs> and you'd... Nothing. Even the religious thing doesn't quite land. Mm. Like, is that really
6: his caper? Because he's doing a shit job even at that.
10: <laughs>
6: Get him. So when, when, the, when the feds didn't turn up and you know, people were left to their own devices, what did you say that was People inspiring? helped each other.
13: People, um, people lent each other generators. People were hooning around in utes, putting spot fires out. People uh, just bought us food. Um, there were folk coming out of Bermagui who were just doing enormous stuff in this big kitchen and then just shuttling it out to where people needed it. Water got delivered. So it's it, all the mutual aid stuff, all the beautiful bottom-up stuff was what actually happened.
6: Does it surprise you that there's no kind of support for those kind of groups? Even if the government's going to outsource this yeah. sort of support to these grassroots groups, how hard would it be to support these groups?
13: There's a little bit landing now, um, and I think some of some of that stuff is getting a small amount of institutional backing, but it you know, came too late, obviously, for last year. The main thing, if we can learn anything from last year, is that the kind of groups doing that incredible stuff do get backed up and supported.
6: Mm. We've seen stories over the last six months about this notional $2 billion and half of it being delivered. Where is the... I don't know. Show of hands. Who, who got some of the $2 billion? You... For the podcast For the... listener, there is There's one person with their hand up. How much
13: did you get? <laughs> <laughs> um, Red Cross
0: were really, really good people
8: that lost you know, money
6: the red cross were
13: good
8: for people the that red cost money cross yeah. were excellent and um the salvation army and um, they didn't put money the red cross didn't put money into the actual pods that the government was supposed to apply, apply for we had signed over ten thousand dollars of red cross money to the government fund for the
6: pods wow wow so that was that that's a charity plugging the gap where the government fell down i think there was a lot of that
13: Institutional charities, but also just these networks of people who just had to do what needed to be done.
6: God, it's um. Has anyone else got stories of, of this they want to share at at this moment? Of kind of
10: of. of
6: oh. <laughs> that's what you're here for. Go on, what you're Scott. Tell a joke. No. <laughs> well, Scott. Thank you. Yeah, we have some music. Play please. A, um, the mood. Play yeah. a funny song. Plugging the incongruity of the Australian voter, after seeing whatever, everything we've gone through and seeing how Labor doesn't really have a climate action plan themselves, how does the Australian voter heading into election season, how should they vote to see meaningful climate action For in Australia? For God's
13: sake, don't wait till elections roll around. I reckon that's the first mistake that we're going to make. If we hang around until an election at the time of Scott Morrison's choosing, like we just, we lose another, I don't know what, six to 12 months of waiting around tapping our toes, it's time to riot. Like it's actually time to take a bit of power back.
6: This is the opinion of former Senator Scott Ludlam. Yeah, I have story. to say, <laughs> as, a, um, as an
2: employee of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, <laughs> I have to distance myself from the riot against the government comments, uh, but I support Scott's ability to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's real
10: courage. Yeah, no, coward. No.
6: <laughs> Look, they've been fucking suing us every week. <laughs> Give me a break. So, with with when we say don't wait another six months, what what do you mean by that?
13: Uh, there was some really courageous crew up on the roof of Andrew Constance's office earlier in this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. There are school strikers in this town who've been. Um, rebelling for at least two years that I'm aware of, like a really courageous crew. There's Extinction Rebellion chapter just flared up here and that has got a long way to run. Um, I'm not saying, like, when the election comes around, check and see who's paying their bills. Don't vote for people who are cashing checks from Santos and and, and the resources sector. That part's really simple. But we simply cannot wait for long enough uh, for, for elections to come around. And there's so much beautiful stuff going on, like, in this district a cheese, not even as a joke or as a punchline, talking about circular economy right across the whole valley. Like in a serious way, just spend a couple hours reading the stuff. They're not fooling around. Yeah. Like if government is way, way back and the community's ready and business is ready, then let's just get on with it and not wait for these clowns.
6: We are the leaders. Right. right. Um, well, Scott, um, thank you so much for joining us on Irrational Fear. You're welcome. Sorry I was so earnest, but thank you. No, ahead. that's, you that's, the, that's that the job great. of this section. Um, just to top off your earnestness, we're, we have a lot of Patreon supporters who, who fund the show. We've got a, a few in our front row here tonight, which is great. We're going to be giving um, half of our Patreon tonight to the Women's Resource Centre at Bega and the, and the other <laughs> half to... And we're going to be giving the other half to the Extinction Rebellion uh, legal fund. Uh, <laughs> so that's about... That, that, you know, that, that's some good money going their way. So hopefully, hopefully it's not exactly... Um, uh, Christ- hopefully they can commit some more crimes. <laughs> <laughs> just to pay their legal bills. Just to pay their legal bills. Um, well, thank you very much, Scott Ludlam. If you want we a rational fear... Um, now, Gabby, um, it's become evident that Scott is finding it difficult to show any kind of leadership. And when he does, there's always someone behind the scenes who is incredibly powerful in his ear.
5: Yeah. Um, actually, I was a bit of a fly on the wall recently at a uh, parliamentary karaoke party. <laughs> Go with it. Um, and uh, he actually he got up to sing quite a, a bit of a, a Nelton John banger, actually, but it wasn't quite the lyricism. That I was like, you know, everyone kind of just sings that, like. Da, da, ba, da, da. He actually sang the lyrics. Um, he did quite well. Uh, so I thought I'd just reenact what I heard that fateful evening at the parliamentary <laughs>
2: annual karaoke. You've built a great world here, Gabby. I'm yeah. really buying. it I
5: think they're going to have to actually host the party now. Yeah. Any Elton fans? Good. Won't be after this. Hey, kids, learn from my empathy consultant. Turns out all that I have to say is I find these guys repulsive. Won't say a thing about how I will propose, real change. But if I try to cry, maybe no one will notice anything strange. Cause I stand up for women when they need. Jenny and the girls only relate to my relatives. What more could I really even do? I haven't named names. I mean, I'm not to blame. I could have shot protesters right at the scene. Oh, but I didn't. Wanna know why? Jenny and the girls. We can sing in this venue, can't we? Is that COVID yeah, yeah. safe? Good. We'll have a great little karaoke of our own. Ready? You know what to do. Echo me. Jenny. 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 Jenny Jenny and the
10: girls. (laughs) Jenny. Oh. (laughs) And he won. He won. Excellent. Fear. Thank you very much. This has
6: been Irrational Fear. Please thank our wonderful guests tonight, Dylan Bain, Gabby Bolt, Lewis Halber, Mick Nevin, Scott Ludlam, I'm Dan Illich. Big thanks to Roadmics, The Bertha Foundation, Patreon supporters. Until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Good night. Bye. That's it. How good was that? two live shows, all in one podcast. Don't say we don't give you anything for nothing because we give you lots for nothing. Speaking of that, if you want to pay for some of the stuff you're getting for free, please jump to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Irrational Fear. We need all the help we can get. We're almost off the end of our Bertha Fellowship money, which means we're going to be desperate for more Patreon supporters to support the podcast. So if you want us to keep making podcasts, to keep making funny memes, to keep making sketches online, please go to patreon.com forward slash Irrational fear. It's getting more important because we've got the election coming up. And now that Friendly Georges is probably going to jail, you know, someone's got to do it. <laughs> Please hit us up, patreon.com forward slash irrational fear. Also, I want to say a big shout out to Jacob Brown on the Teppanyaki timeline who smashed this best bits of these two shows together um, despite having COVID 19. Yep. Absolutely, champion effort. Very sick boy, but managed to pull it off. So, thank you, Jacob Brown. Really appreciate it. He's a bigger boy, and he couldn't even come to our show in Bega, which was an absolute shame. Uh, we would have loved to, have, loved to have him there. But his mum came, and that was good enough. It was like it was like having it was like well, I was going to say it was like having a close relative of Jacob Brown there. But that's exactly what it was like. Anyway, thanks very much. Um, and until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Goodbye.